Prologue, a spectacle of glory. The Syrian's bloodshot eyes peeled open painfully to reveal absolutely nothing. After a half night of sleep, the man was awake and looked like he had just been born. Detaching his prostrate cheek from a congealing cloth, he attempted to rise but failed to move. After several minutes more, like an Egyptian sphinx, the man's palms pressed downwards, enabling him to arch his lower back. Gritting his teeth, he rotated a 180-degree supine and gazed blankly towards shards of dusty light streaming diagonally above him from a central courtyard. As if peering directly into a cloudless sky, he reeled instinctively, shading his swollen face, feeling the light of day, but not yet beholding it. Possessing zero knowledge of the stranger's home in which he'd slept, nor of the company of men who'd placed him in it, the man slowly moved his hand toward his forehead, gently inspecting with his fingertips where it hurt the most. Where am I? He thought, wincing from the wound. Where are the others? Edging his legs to perch over the side of the bed, he cupped his head between his knees in the palms of his trembling hands. Aware of the cooling comfort of flagstones beneath his feet, his toes reflexed to massage a thin layer of sand. A rug-covered pathway led from the bed to a small table and chair that stood bow-legged on the opposite side of the room, where the Syrian's phylacteries were also hanging safely intact, though now slightly ajar. A stale smell of cold ash whipped up by the breeze flowed out of a redundant fire pit beyond the central pillars of the house. Yesterday's warmth vented like a dislocated memory through a small doorway and the man's mind followed. Veering off like a stray animal doubting its freedom, his thoughts hunted furtively past nonchalantly flapping fabric, creaking fence and the unknowable rhythm of wind. He tried again to gather his thoughts, irritated by the nausea caused by the soiled clothes in which he sat. His consciousness suddenly cleared so as to conceive inexplicably of the sheltered waters of En Gedi and the olive hues and hillsides surrounding Jerusalem, a mirage of respite lasting merely fractions of a second. The monotonous sounds of animals outside the house were sufficient to pull the man's mind back into the pain of his flesh. A deepening nausea induced by fasting was the only distraction from his death-like delirium. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. But the city was comatose. A wave of fear and bewilderment struck the man again. The internal intensification of all that was only ever previously outward collapsed the Syrian's mind like a perished tent, as fragmenting memories of the letters and rope 
and screaming mothers the day before pierced his conscience like a nail through nerve. He vomited violently. The cold sweat on his brow ran colder still and, loudly gasping for air and the pieces of a dream, he became conscious of hurried footsteps approaching him from the adjoining room. Rabbi, Rabbi, let me help you, please. Hearing the man's obliging voice was balm, and it was tonic. A tall, sinewy man in his mid-thirties had bowed his head and shoulders out of necessity to enter the room in a rush. Unsure of what to do, fidgeting hands cupped together midriff, he stood indecisively next to the man vomiting again on the floor. Noticing his guest's possessions hanging on the chair, he shifted his weight anxiously while towering over the Syrian and waiting for his consent to help. Spitting saliva and bile to the ground and wiping his matted beard with his forearm, just as he had the day before with his blood, the man was engulfed once more by the violent presence and power from the road. Groping desperately to steady himself, muscles cramping as though filled with a strange form of energy, he vomited once more, falling forward from his bed to the familiar stability of the ground below. With the firm insistence of a clay bowl thrust into his hands, the attentive footsteps morphed into the lingering warmth of a hand on his back. After several minutes clutching gratefully to dignity, Thank you, was all the Syrian could manage, cooperating with his aide who hoisted him back to the bed and replaced his stained linen with the rougher easel of animal skin. Replete in the relief of an empty stomach, reclined and conscious of wearing something new, he remembered an impression, the timbre of the man from his vision. Are you still there? He rasped through tears. Yes, Rabbi, Judas replied, offering a cup of water. He sent you here, he asked, declining to drink. I mean, to help me after what happened yesterday on the road. Judas answered him silently with the knowing touch of his entire hand on the front of his head, accompanied by a strange language that felt to him like prayer. Sleep submerged the Syrian in an instant, as the city of Damascus, unaware of the events it was hosting, stirred awake outside. Judas constructed the scaffolding of a brand new fire, as once again Saul of Tarsus slept. When Saul woke again two days later, his eyes remained involuntarily shut. Blindness surrounded him just as it had, but the wound to his person felt less acute and somehow more prescribed. His stomach was calmer, his pulse had balanced, his mind was poised. But he was extremely thirsty. The white sound of a thousand people moving loudly outside lured Saul into a genuine sense of security. He realised his thoughts were steadier, more like the pillars of the home in which he lay than the groaning wind that whipped them. But all of his head throbbed. Getting slowly to his feet, 
Paul knocked the cleansed clay bowl by his feet, and as though himself unexpectedly roused, Judas immediately offered inquiring greetings from a distance as he approached hurriedly. Saul turned his head in his general direction as Judas emerged into the room, voice looming. Do you feel better, Rabbi? he inquired hopefully. I do, thank you, Saul hesitated. Judas, my name is Judas. After a moment of silence, he continued, Yahweh has given me a lifetime of blessing, much more than I would ever need. Whatever I have, anything at all, I freely give you. Saul had immediately tightened at the mention of Yahweh so as to miss the rest of what Judas had said. Flashes from the Sanhedrin and the high priest again traipsed his mind like a galloping horse. Obtuse memories of pride, plotting and rage, such awful speech against the Messiah, Saul thought, taken aback, tottering. Again, the weight of Judas's hands brought with them more than their steadying touch. A sweeping calm returned to Saul as he sensed three other people in the room. Brother Saul, this is Ananias who has come to pray for you from the church in Damascus. Judas gave Ananias a knowing look to proceed, who nodded in agreement. Ananias, nearly 50 years of age, was nearer to Saul's diminutive height, but thicker and much wider in build. He looked like a Roman centurion, covered in beard. He was nervous, but resolute as he turned to face Saul head-on for the first time. Reaching out with his left hand on Saul's right shoulder, Ananias spoke. Greetings, brother Saul. I'm glad that you are here. Saul flinched, but said nothing. Judas knew they both needed reassurance, so he prayed again, silently. After a moment or two, he remembered his original plan. Shall we sit, Rabbi? Judas asked Saul, realising he was gesturing in vain. Come with me in here and you can bathe. He led Saul hand in hand as though a rudder at sea, walking backwards with him in tow towards the private courtyard and a low stool prepared under the Israeli sun. Placing Saul's hand precisely on its rim, Judas said, You can use this, Rabbi. Another bowl and a towel, a cloth and jug of water and some oil are here. Saul thanked him again quietly. He clutched the towel as he sat down on the stool, itching to wash, but feeling the vulnerable embarrassment of his unknown company. His body was dirty. His chest felt bruised inside, his breathing short. His forehead and eyes remained badly swollen with what appeared to be deep burning, as though his face had been held over fire. But Saul was able to remove his clothes on his own and use the water and cloth of hide to wash. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The word of God reverberated around Paul's mind again, as though it was a series of subterranean caves. His chest pain tightened. Rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. 
Once again, unable to enunciate, Paul groaned in thought, rocking, pausing from washing. Oh Lord, are you truly the resurrected Nazarene? Yeshua the Messiah of the way? Saul thought in prayer. Sensing his slipping consciousness again, Judas and Ananias both half stood to help, but Saul regained his strength in time to hold sway and continue washing. So they sat. Fifteen minutes later, finally leaning back against the uneven wall of the house, Saul wiped the fragrant excess of oil through his beard and the full length of his arms. He slumped his hands into his lap, breathing slowly, deeply as the draught and light of day dried his clean body. His chest had loosened. I apologise, Ananias. I was rude, and I can certainly understand your own anxiety with me. Ananias and Judas both stood and moved their stools closer to Saul, who began to confide. I hear him speaking to me. His voice is like all of my unspoken thoughts, unraveled, skinned like the bark of a tree, and instantly replaced whole. Judas cleared the bowl of water away with the accoutrements as Ananias watched him closely, searching for courage to reply. Finally, he began, fingers and palms on knees. Brother, he's here now, isn't he? Saul interrupted. He is, Ananias replied. He appeared to me in a vision yesterday and told me to come to this very house of brother Judas, where I would find you, praying and without sight. Saul looked up in hope, but without response. May I pray for you now, brother Saul? Ananias pressed. Please pray, please pray for me. Oh my God! Saul's frame shook violently again as he sobbed uncontrollably. Ananias bowed to the ground on one knee, next to where Saul was sitting half-dressed, and Judas also kneeled in prayer behind them. He placed his right hand on Saul's eyes gently, as though on a newborn babe, and prayed with unexpected volume. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Before Ananias had finished saying Amen, the whole of Saul's spasming face relaxed. Then his mouth opened as though his jaw was being dislocated in slow motion while he lowered his febrile head in debut worship. Like the cry of a newborn infant, he groaned gutturally, and once again more loudly, exhaling every residual volume of air from his lungs. This time, the house of Judas was filled with the unmistakable sounds of joy. As intense heat passed painlessly through the full length of both of his optic nerves, large grafts of blistered skin instantaneously appeared on Saul's thighs. Feeling them land on his hands and lifting his head toward the ceiling light, every last cell of skin surrounding his eyes shed in a flurry of quick succession. 
As his eyes immediately filled again with refracting daylight and tears, Saul could see the watery outlines of his two new brothers rapidly shifting into focus for the very first time. Saul reached out his hands to embrace them, shouting loudly, Lord Yeshua, Hamashiach! Judas and Ananias, both bewildered and weeping in joy, embraced him firmly. Brother Paul had been radicalized by the Holy Spirit and was ushered immediately into the company of the glorious few.